This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Um, I thought he made some tremendous throws in that scrimmage. He, he threw the ball on a post route to Jamal. That was beautiful for a touchdown. He threw the backside seam to Jordan for a touchdown. He threw a side pocket throw to Jamal for a touchdown. He threw a great third down and 13 right down the middle to Jordan for a first down. He made some big time throws in that scrimmage. I was, after looking at it, I was very impressed with the way he threw the ball. He had no, I just didn't really look at the, the good. I also looked at the bad, so I critiqued the bad. Being able to just communicate well with the signals and in the huddle, uh, that's one thing that we struggle with as a whole, myself in general. Um, you know, communicating with the offensive line when it comes to getting the, getting the plays in on time. And the- I thought we made some big plays. I thought, uh, you know, we hit a couple big runs, a couple big throws actually threw the ball away at times, which is better than taking a sack, so I was pleased with that when we got into trouble. But we, we had a, a lot of errors. We were played a lot of guys. I think they were, we got to the you know end of training camp and we were a little bit worn out. When I watched it a few times, I felt a little bit better about how that, that first unit played. It's coming together as we sit almost a week away from the BYU opener, the kickoff of the Mike Riley era. Hello, welcome to another edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Robin Washett later on in the show will be joined by Nate Klaus. But guys, we were at the final scrimmage uh, and it's been great. We've been able to watch these scrimmages, which is a huge help to really know kind of the progress and, and, and who's doing what. But Let's start with Tommy Armstrong. He was in there for five series. All five of them were scores. Um, One field goal, three touchdown passes, and then an Adam Taylor run for a touchdown. Um, Really um, uh, as collectively good of a body of work, Robin, as we've seen from Tommy all fall. Yeah, and it's kind of the the latest example of just how far he's progressed since the start of spring ball. And you you got to credit Tommy. Uh, a lot for that. I mean, he he's made it his you know number one primary goal to uh, step in and learn this offense and really try and master it as as quickly as possible. And we're starting to see the results of that with uh, what was probably the best performance that we've seen so far uh, since the new offense has been introduced. And I think some of the most promising things that we saw from Tommy. I mean, you know that he can gun it in there when he needs to, but he put some touch on some passes. He had a really nice corner route to Trey Foster that I thought was a great throw. He, he you know he completed a couple screen passes. I thought he played really well and then the play of the day they started at about the 25 yard line and he just zinged a seam route into Jordan Westerkamp who dove and caught it for a touchdown I mean that that was showing off that arm strength that was probably the most impressive throw of the day so he really kind of showed the total array of skills and I think that's exactly what you needed to see and one of the most underrated aspects of that scrimmage that both Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf made sure to point out was that he threw the ball away you know, yep. he wasn't taking unnecessary, obviously he's not getting hit, but wasn't putting himself to take unnecessary hits. He was scrambling the pocket and just throwing the ball out of bounds to, to play another down. And you look at Tommy's history and those unnecessary turnovers have been one of the knocks on him over his career. And it looks like he's starting to kind of figure that out, that uh, it, it's okay to throw the ball away every once in a while. Well, I think his short passing is what's really improved too. I mean, we, like you said, we know he can throw it deep, uh, but those three to eight yard throws – that he missed the entire Michigan State game last year, and he's missed a lot over his career. He hit those, and you go back and and look at that first series in the scrimmage, he had three consecutive third-down completions, and they were all short little throws, and I'm guessing it was by design. I don't think Husker fans are going to be too excited about third-and-one and and third-and-two pass play calls, Um, so hopefully that was by design 
um, to work on some things in the scrimmage. Uh, but those were big throws that he made in that scrimmage. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Sean. I think you know those are the throws you're going to have to complete in this offense. It's it's not going to necessarily be like previous years so much where you're throwing 15 or 20 yards down the field more often. It's going to be more short passes, some crossing patterns, you know, some swing passes to receivers. And the more that Tommy can show he can complete those passes, the better. Now, he wasn't perfect. Uh, I, I remember one play in particular, you know, one of Tommy's things, he still kind of locks on to his primary receiver a little bit. There was one play, it was a third down, about a third and five or so, where he had Alonzo Moore was literally standing in mm-hmm. the middle of the field yep. with no one within 10 yards of him, just waving his arms. To his credit, Tommy did complete a pass <laughs> for a first down on that play, but it was, you know, in a tighter window. It was a tougher pass, and Alonzo Moore would have had a touchdown. So, Tommy was not perfect, but he was much improved. You know, and I think when you look at the receivers, it's been just so hard to evaluate because Tommy has been playing with a lot of receivers that are never going to see the field on Saturdays. And that's not a knock on guys like Brady Pelzer and and some of these walk-ons that have been making Brian plays. Reimers. Brian Reimers. in the scrimmage <laughs> on Saturday. Um, but realistically, everyone's going to be back. And it, it's almost driving me nuts how much people are panicking about the injuries to the receivers because these are just minor fall camp bumps and bruises, and they've been magnified more because we get to see it every day. Or in the old Bo Pelini era when practice was closed, a lot of these injuries you know, were going on, but we didn't have access to see it like we're seeing it now, so we couldn't really report the details like we are now. And I think, obviously, we're making a huge deal about these receivers, but I have no doubt these receivers are going to be back in the offense uh, when game week preparations start on Monday for BYU. Yeah, and the guys that have missed time, I mean, outside of obviously DeMorne Pearsonell, which is really the only notable injury in that receiver group, uh, the guys that are, you know, everybody's getting worried about are the veteran guys. I mean, if Jordan Wisterkamp misses a practice, who cares? Brandon Riley, obviously, uh, before early in fall, fall camp, he was the only healthy receiver out there for a lot of the times. And now, you know, obviously he has that lingering hamstring injury. And I think they just don't want to mess with it. You know, I mean, it's one of those things you just want to make sure he's healthy for game week. You already know that he's going to be fine in that offense and be a playmaker. So I think a precautionary attitude with these guys is probably the right he way to go. He needs to be out there Monday, Tuesday, though, I, I true, think. True. Next, or, you know, hopefully, and I'm guessing that's the plan. He did, he did tweet that he's close. So whatever that means, hopefully that means sometime next week. Yeah, uh, kind of the you know the silver lining out of this is it's open time for some other guys who might mm-hmm. not have gotten it. I mean, obviously, we've talked a ton about Stanley Morgan, and that he's the headliner. He set out Saturday's scrimmage, but he's He's been out there for the most part. But it's kind of opened up opportunities for Alonzo Moore and Jamal Turner, who are two guys who kind of looked like, you know, they might have missed their chance. They might have gotten buried on the depth chart a little. Well, they both played really well. Jamal Turner drew a ton of praise for his work in the scrimmage Saturday. I thought Alonzo Moore has looked good over the last couple practices. Obviously, consistency is still the buzzword with him. But they've kind of gotten opportunities to show what they can do. So they'll at least get a chance even when these other guys come back, I think. And we'll talk more about Jamal in the Stockwatch segment. But, yeah, for him, I just want him to be consistent and do it in a game and prove that he can stay healthy because my lasting images of him the last two years are the the little time he's played in games. He's he's suffered Mm -hmm. uh, multiple injuries, and and you hope that he can shake that and, and, and go out the way the guy deserves. I mean, the one credit to him, I mean, knock on wood, is he's the one receiver that stayed healthy all fall. So uh, he's made the most of it. And like you said, hopefully he can continue that and be a productive player in his final year. And as we kind of wrap things up, uh, just on our final thoughts on that scrimmage, let's let's briefly touch on the defense. Um, you know, 
one thing that's jumped out to me, guys, is maybe the lack of pressure off the edge. We haven't seen the defensive ends get in there, so is it a credit to Alex Lewis and Nick Gates, or is it more Nebraska has defensive ends that are you know, 4'8", 4'9", 40-type guys that aren't going to get to the quarterback as well, and I think it's probably somewhere in between. Yeah, I do think you have to give credit to those offensive tackles, but I mean, you know, even coming into fall camp, I think that this was, you know, a major concern for Nebraska. Just when you looked at those defensive ends, you know, Greg McMullen is not, he's a very good player. He's not a great pass rusher. Uh, Jack Gangwish is a guy with half a sack in his entire career. <laughs> Nobody else on that entire unit, you know, Ross Dezuris, Freedom, you know, you can go down the line. Joe Keels, those guys have not, you know, ever proven it on the field that they can get to the quarterback. And I think we saw that again on Saturday. I, I've actually been encouraged by what I've seen out of Jack Gangwish all over fall camp. He's had times where he's gotten the better of Alex Lewis. But for the most part, yeah, those offensive tackles were really able to keep the defensive ends at bay, and I agree with you, Sean. That's a bit of a concern. I, I just when they're third and eight, who's going to be the guy that gets to the quarterback? Mm-hmm. That that is my biggest question, especially on game one. You're playing Taysom Hill, um, a dynamic dual threat quarterback, almost kind of like a Taylor Martinez type of guy that's going to scramble around and cause you lots of problems. Um, who's going to be the guy that can get to him, and and what will be their game plan? And I'm sure we'll talk about that much more in our BYU pre-show as. Uh, we start to look ahead to that game. I, I'm just too excited. I'm I'm ready to get out there for that first game. Yeah, it's about time we start talking about uh, an actual game as opposed to practices. It's it, it's that time of year. All right, we're going to talk more offense next here in the podcast when we come back. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. My biggest concern now still is consistency of running the football. You know, we hate, we take too many runs with nothing there. You know, you want to, you'd like to see three or four yards at least. There's too many that are not good looking runs. We know what we got to do now. I mean, our assignment wise, we were pretty good. You know, some things did come to light that do need to be worked on, but the guys know what they're, what they're doing. The ones that I was really looking to get those heavy reps. So they know what they're doing. And that was a good chance to get to see what they'll do in some quote-unquote game-like situations. Obviously, it's not a real game, but, you know, some plays break down. What do you need to do? You know, we need to improve there. But that's what I like was, man, it brought some things to light that, uh, that you don't necessarily get to see in drills during practice or on a team. Can this football team run the ball? That is one of the bigger questions they face, I think, going into this BYU BYU opener. It's the first time Nebraska hasn't had really a returning established running back, maybe since the 02-03 time uh, when um, Darren Diedrich was leaving the program, then Josh Davis took over, and then Corey Ross kind of emerged. I mean, they're – there hasn't been a moment at Nebraska in a long time where there just hasn't been the where you don't know what's going to happen at running back. And I think when you look at what happened in the scrimmage on Saturday and what we've seen all fall, um, no one has truly emerged at the running back position. The coaches say they have a plan. Let's bring in uh, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppin, and the rest of the crew here as you're listening to the HuskerOnline.com podcast and get your thoughts. Nate, I want to start with you uh, and welcome here to the show. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that running back position? Are you concerned at this point that no one has really emerged? And do you think there's a guy in this team that could approach be a thousand yard rusher? 
Well, it's a, it is a little concerning, but I, what I do like is uh, you know that there's a, an awful lot of talent back there. We've all seen flashes of, of talent. Everyone has done something well uh, throughout this fall. So I think the, the coaching staff is going to have to get kind of creative um, to start off the season and, and kind of put guys in position, um, you know, find things that they do well and kind of piece it together for a while until that guy emerges. Now, I, you know, what I've seen out of uh, a guy like Mikel Wilbon uh, has really encouraged me. He, I think he's showed probably the most this fall and will eventually grab that spot. But I think it's going to be kind of a by-committee piecework uh, to start the season. And Terrell Newby is battling the shoulder injury, um, so there's some questions kind of with that. You've got Amani Cross, who's dropped 20 pounds. Uh, but still, you know, in the scrimmage, Dan, what, what some of the plays Amani made, I mean, it was, it was their first and goal on the nine. He takes a negative five-yard loss. That's the one drive they kicked the field goal on. That's a drive killer, and you just wonder if Amani can ever take that next step. Yeah, and it, I mean, you know, our chances to really see the running game in full action this fall have been pretty limited as far as, you know, tackling guys to the ground and stuff, but you just you haven't seen it from Amani, you know, just kind of taking that next step. It hasn't been there. I'll tell you a guy that has really impressed me. I don't want to, you know, put too much hype behind him because I'm not sure what his playing time is going to look like. But Divino Zigbo has played really well lately. I thought arguably he looked as good as anybody in the scrimmage. He's got doesn't have great top end speed, not great burst, but he has really good vision. I think he can break some tackles. He can catch passes, and then, uh, you know, the other day Mike Riley or it was Danny Langsdorf actually I think said it. Uh, one one of those two said that he's going to be one of the seven true freshmen that will play this year and that kind of caught my attention because you know we mentioned all the names at running back I thought maybe if there was a freshman who was going to contribute it might be Jordan Stevenson but you know he's been injured and and uh Divine has kind of been able to shine through a little bit yeah you got to have the reps in the offense and and be practicing and Divine Mm -hmm. has shown that he's he's in shape absolutely uh, where we all can agree that you know um, Stevenson has a ways to go Robin what did you make of Adam Taylor's scrimmage I mean they, they that was the first time they had turned him loose. Do you think it was just kind of, let's just see what he can do. We'll give him some shots with the ones. Uh, he had an 18-yard touchdown and uh, another nice run in that scrimmage. Um, is he still the dark man out right now, or do you think um, you know he, he's put himself back up there? He's certainly been lost in the shuffle compared to where he was going into fall camp. But you know what I will say, to his credit, where he shines the most is in just that full contact, just angry running style. And he hasn't had a lot, like Dan said, hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do that because the contact has been limited and uh, where he's going to make his bread and butters in the yards after contact. And so uh, we got finally got to see that a little bit on Saturday and that touchdown run uh, that he made, I tell you what, that was as good of a run as we've seen from him all fall. And that's, that those those flashes are what make people so excited about him as a runner just because, uh, I mean, he has that ability. And one thing I will say is he's a completely different runner inside the red zone, in my opinion, than he is between between the 20s. I mean, he's, he's he just kicks it up a notch with his intensity. He's more physical, and he's kind of just a beast once they get in the red zone. So maybe he could be a situational guy that uh, when it's time to, to get the money downs inside the red zone, then he's a guy that goes in. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast here. Uh, we're talking more offensive storylines. Let's shift over, guys, to the offensive line uh, where they've pretty much established that starting five uh, we've known the group now for over a week, maybe two weeks even. Uh, tackles Alex Lewis, Nick Gates, Richard Freshman. you got Chungo Kondolo and Dylan Utter at the two guards. And then Ryan Reeves is 
emerged and in, in, in taken that center spot after battling injuries the last few years. One of the things, though, they're not going to rotate on this line. They're going to stick with a group of five. They're going to let these guys play together. But the biggest difference from a year ago is they're not running no huddle. So you're, you're probably talking 15 to 20 less plays a game. Uh, or maybe the linemen won't be as tired. I mean, what what do you think of that, Nate? Just the, the new plan with the line and not rotating. I know uh, the previous staff liked to play sometimes eight or nine guys if they could. I'm a fan of it because when you talk to these guys, each and every one of them has mentioned the chemistry along the line they, and how much they've been able to gel, you know, especially over these last couple of weeks of fall camp. And and I think it's it's that chemistry and it's it's knowing what that guy next to you is going to do and having trust in him that, that he knows the play and that, you know, you're going to be working in conjunction with one another uh, to get the block done. I, I think that type of trust is really going to help um, in pass protection and in the run game. Well, yeah, and, and no offense to the previous staff or, or their ideas, but I mean – how many teams do you see rotate linemen? I mean, it's it's non-existent in the NFL. Yeah, I haven't done any studies looking all across the college game, but you see it on defense. But yeah, but not on the offensive line. I mean, you you just you don't see that, and there's a reason for that, and a lot of it is because of what Nate talked about. You have to know, you know, what the guy next to you is going to do on on a certain blitz, or you know, you have to understand where you know one guy is going to make his footsteps and stuff like that. I think that that's really important. And I think we saw that at times last year. There were times where, you know, the backup offensive line would outplay the starters almost. Yeah, you did the little by the numbers yeah. uh, of the groups. In the Northwestern game, for sure. In that second half, guys like Givens Price and Chongo Condolo and Ryan Reeves, they outplayed the starters. And it was just, it was weird to see because those guys didn't have that chemistry. I still believe Chongo should have been a starter last year. And Ryan Reeves should have too. And you know, the two. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> no, no, no. There were let's, some extenuating circumstances with the starter last let's, year. Let's let's move back to the show. Here. Yeah, <laughs> you're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Tight end guys. That that's another question. Trey Foster was awarded the scholarship on Saturday by head coach Mike Riley. Um, great story. One of eight players in that walk-on group uh, for 2012. But Trey Foster is going to be out, Robin. Do we know, is it a week, two weeks? Have they really given much of a timeline? The only official statement from Riley was week to week. And so if he's not practicing by next week, I would say it's probably a safe bet he's not going to play. So quite the turn of events for him over the past few days. I mean, this tight end position, we just assumed Seaton Carter was going to come in here and be Rob Gronkowski for Mike Riley. And it's not happened. I don't know what the situation is if um, they're not as high on him as maybe everybody else used to be or he's just not bought in or just hasn't really emerged he's gonna play right. but he just hasn't shown it and I think that tight end position you know they're asking him to do a lot of different things maybe than they were doing before mm-hmm. and some posters on the board have suggested that maybe you know he's had a lot of playing time in the past so they don't need to see as much of him and they want to see more of these other guys I'm not sure how much of that is really playing in. But, yeah, it's been strange to see the lack of reps that he's been getting. And and now we know uh, Matt Snyder is going to redshirt for certain. So, you know, it's like we mentioned. You got Seathan. You got Trey Foster, who's hurt. I mean, what can you get from Sam Cotton? What can you maybe get from Luke McNitt? Luke McNitt, yeah. Well, Andy Janovich is the X factor. They are going to use him kind of as the Swiss Army knife, fullback, H-back, and even a tight end role. And he can handle it. Now, they won't put him on the line of scrimmage Nate I don't think as like a true tight end but he's no, more of a, an H-back tight he'll, end he'll be an H-back and and he's looked great in that role 
uh, this fall. I mean, he's been able to to really showcase, you know, some of his athleticism, I, I think, you know, doing a, a lot of different things that he's never done before. Reggie Davis said to me, uh, he goes, I mean, the dude's tough. I mean, he like wrestles bulls and cows <laughs> and stuff. So <laughs> they're figuring out pretty quickly that Andy Janovich is a good, uh, a pretty tough dude. Guys, when we come back here on the show, we'll shift over and we'll talk more defensive storylines here as we approach game week on the HuskerOnline.com podcast. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, it's kind of tough. You know, you got school right now, so you're trying to uh, figure out time management schedules like that. But, you know, I definitely got September 5th circle. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to play. Uh, so is a lot of other guys, you know, that, that really worked hard this, this summer and worked hard throughout the winter. And, you know, just getting a chance to play into a lot. We got some retro freshman guys that are going to be able to play, like, you know, Gates and, and Woodbine. So I know they're, they're just excited as well, but I'm very excited personally. Senior linebacker Michael Rose Ivy as he's counting the days to that opening kickoff against BYU. Welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin, Nate Klaus, Robin Washett. And we are talking defensive storylines and, you know, a lot of key things are starting to come together. Um, I want to start at linebacker. It looks like Dedrick Young is going to win that third job after Rose, Ivy, and Banderas. Um, you know, Marcus Newby and Dedrick were kind of in a battle, but... Um, you know, I don't think any of us are that surprised, Robin, that Dedrick Young has been the guy that's emerged uh, this camp. It was basically a matter of time, I think, with him. I mean, uh, getting here in the spring was absolutely huge for him. And uh, from a physical standpoint, he literally had no catching up to do. I mean, he was as big as any other linebacker in that group. And uh, give him a full summer with the strength and conditioning program, we really start to see him take off. Uh, he's a quick learner and uh, should fit in uh, pretty well right away uh, at that linebacker spot. What's your read, Dan? I know you've been able to catch up with Trent Bray a few times, though. I mean, do you, do you see, obviously, Newbie, Gifford, um, maybe even a Tyron Ferguson. I mean, what other linebackers could we see play other than the, the starting three? Well, I think you just you named him. Um, you know, potentially he's been injured a lot, so we don't really know. But maybe Chris Weber uh, for a play here or there is probably more of a special teams guy. But I think Luke Gifford is absolutely going to be a guy who's going to play uh, in nickel and dime situations. They've said multiple times he's their best cover linebacker, and obviously moving down from safety, that's not a huge surprise. Um, yeah, so I, I think that those are probably – you know, the three starters and then uh, Gifford Newby, those are probably your top five guys. You're going to see them most of the time. You know, they don't have the numbers, Nate, but I feel like at least the top four or five guys seem like they're quality bodies that, that can get it done. Oh, they've looked great. I, I, I've been really impressed with how that how that uh, that core of linebackers has looked, and and really, it's pretty remarkable to see you know the amount of talent that's there now. You know, compared to just you know last year, even last spring. Yeah, last spring. I mean, it, that that whole group has has had a complete makeover, and it's been pretty impressive. And then when you look at what's coming, you know, in this recruiting class, you know, you got a JUCO guy that'll be here in, in uh, mid year. Uh, I mean, it's going to continue. Quayshawn Alexander, JoJo Dolman. Yeah, uh, Greg Simmons out of Florida. I mean, it is, uh, it's an impressive group. That's going to be one of the strong points of this defense going forward. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We're talking defensive storylines here. Let's let's move it back down to the defensive line. And, and uh, you know, we were talking off air about Ross DeZuris. Uh, but, you know, everyone's wondering who that third defensive end is, the guy that's going to play after McMullen and Gangwish. And, you know, nobody really has just wowed you. Uh, but I talked to uh, Jack Gangwish after practice, and he said today that guy would probably be Ross Azuris. He reminds him a lot of where he was a year ago. And 
um, he's somebody, Robin, that you know could could make an impact here. I mean, and just be a role player on the not not an impact player, but more a role player on this defense. Right, I, he's going to play. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And a lot of that goes to he's one of the guys on that line that just doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, he has a knowledge of the position and you know of the defensive end role that you know a lot of those other guys just don't have. And so that's really kind of separated him. You know, as Gangwish says, you know, he's no Randy Gregory out there, but uh, he's going to be fundamentally sound. He's going to be in the right place most every time and uh, really for a backup defensive end that's about what you could ask for at this point I think that the guy that the coaching staff wanted that third defensive end to be is freedom akin Muladoon but he's just in he looks great physically but he's just so raw at this point I mean he's kind of a raw athlete to begin with and then he spent you know all last year at tight end so he's I know he played defensive end in high school but he's kind of relearning that position and you just you haven't really seen it yet, and that's not a knock on him because he's just an untrained horse right now. He's got all exactly. the, the thoroughbred skills, but you've got to break him in and train him a little bit here. Exactly, I think he's got good potential down the road, but you know, expecting big things from him this year, especially in the first half, might not be realistic. And then Alex Davis and Deshaun Neal are going to redshirt. What about the Davis twins, Nate? You know, we we everyone knows that the Davis twins um, are, are going to be players, but. Uh, most likely redshirting at this point, according to Mike Riley. Yeah, most likely redshirting, but they're going to be special players. Just, I mean, you, we've all seen it from practice. They're extremely quick um, and explosive, and, and they're disruptive players in the middle. And, you know, one interesting thing to maybe keep an eye on is, uh, you know, I was talking to, to Coach Hughes, Hank Hughes, after practice, and he said that if, if they're at a point during the season where they're not getting a, a pass rush, they might look at, at burning their redshirts and using the Davis Twins to come off the edge if they think that they can do that. I would think that decision will be made after BYU. Yeah. I mean, I think depending on how BYU goes, then you've got South Alabama. And I know everyone expects South Alabama to be an easy game, uh, but they went to a bowl game last year. They have kind of poor man's SEC talent on that roster. So that's not – I mean, it's going to be a game Nebraska is going to be favored to win by a lot, but that's not going to be just – that easy of a game for week two, I mean, compared to maybe playing an FCS team or something. And don't rule out the, the prospect of Malik Collins moving outside for occasional, you know, pass rush situation. I mean, they have the depth inside to, uh, you know, get by without him in the middle. And maybe one of the best off-the-edge pass rushes we've seen all fall was when Collins was outside and he just burned past um, Nick Gates off the edge and would have actually absolutely uh, obliterated Riker Fife had he been able to make contact on him. You know, one guy that's had a quiet camp um, that's hard to kind of figure is Kevin Maurice. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought maybe he would factor in more, but Collins and Valentine, first of all, are yeah. so dominating. They, they, they get all the praise. Then Kevin Williams and and kind of his his role, <laughs> whatever that is, as a starter or a third man or or however you want to phrase Don't use it. the B word. Uh, not, yeah, not the B word. <laughs> but yeah, Kevin Maurice, I thought might factor in more. I'll be curious what his role is in that first game. Well, he's just, I mean, you know, it's just so tough to kind of put your finger on what he's what he's able to do because those three guys in front of him have been so good. There just hasn't been playing time available for Kevin Maurice. So, you know, we can watch him play against the you know the the twos the backup offensive line and you know see him do some things or whatever but we haven't really gotten to see him play against the starters I haven't gotten uh, gotten to see him play a lot in games I don't know how much we're going to see this year but like Robin mentioned maybe if Malik moves outside uh, on a couple passing downs maybe you know Kevin Maurice gets in there and gets a chance to show what he can do well and what's going to be tough about this opener compared to normal season openers 
or we're not going to see a lot of the backups probably play. And traditionally, you play a Florida Atlantic, you play somebody that you're just significantly better in than in the opener. Well, this is a game where you know both programs are probably eight to ten win potential teams. BYU schedule may prevent them from getting there. And so you're not going to see the traditional clear the bench type of deal in the third and fourth quarter, which that will make it tougher, I think, to evaluate some of these younger defenders. And you hope the South Alabama game gives them that opportunity, maybe the Southern Miss game. But that's what's difficult to me about this schedule, Robin. Yeah, and I think don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, considering the number of new faces that Nebraska is going to be relying upon to, to get that early test right away. And like you said, they're going to have opportunities through the rest of the non-con. I mean, South Alabama, Southern Miss, you know, games like that. So there, there's going to be other opportunities for these young guys to get their reps. But I think in today's college football, you know, having a game like a BYU right out of the gates is going to be uh, pretty valuable when it comes to, you know, potential you know bowl seating or, or anything like that. And there's no more FCS games in the right. Big Ten going forward. So all of your non-conference games have to be against one of the 10 FBS conferences, either Power Five or the, the non-group of five league teams. So um, it's going to be that way. And after this year, Nebraska goes to nine conference games. Mm-hmm. So they'll have just three non-conference games a year versus four. Um, so lots to talk about. When we come back here, guys, on the show, we will shift over to our Stockwatch segment, players that we think are trending up and trending down. That's next here on the HOL Podcast. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I'm proud of Jamal. Jamal has lasted. He's like the last man standing out there. He came into camp in great shape. He lost a lot of weight in the summer. He had great intentions. He's made a lot of plays. I really, uh, I'm thankful that he came back for his year here. He's been uh, like the warrior, the iron horse, and made a lot of plays. And welcome back to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. We are now in the Stockwatch segment. Things going up, things going down. That was Head coach Mike Riley talking about uh, the camp that fifth year or 25th year senior Jamal Turner has had. I feel like he's been here since the 98 uh, team that played in the Holiday Bowl. I mean, it's, it's Jamal Turner has had a long, long career. I think Jamal Turner actually did play in the Big Ten or the Big 12. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think so. Is Another local journalist compared him to Grant Gibbs this week, he's a, which <laughs> upset me, but... <laughs> What do you guys think of the new music? Kind of do you guys like the new NFL films music I've wor- working it's in? It's awesome. I, pi- I picture like the zoomed in, like spiraling slow motion football, like falling <laughs> into Jerry Rice's hands against the Bengals or something like that. that that's what I think of every it's time. It's a little better than uh, Taylor Swift, right? Dan? I was going to say, I expect a lot of angry comments wondering where the Miley Cyrus went. <laughs> well, let, let's move on. Uh, first, Jamal Turner. Is he a legitimate player right now? I mean, do you think he is going to have a role, Dan, in this offense, or is it just kind of a formality right now with the injuries? Well, I mean, the coaches are saying all the right things, but, yeah, I mean, I think certainly when DeMornay Pearsonella is out, I think Jamal is going to have that role, you know, even when Brandon Riley comes back. And like we talked about, we're not even sure, you know, if he doesn't practice the first couple of days this week, we'll see, you know, if uh, how much he plays next Saturday. But – I do think he'll have some kind of a role and probably, you know, how he does with his first couple of opportunities will determine, you know, what that role looks like going forward, whether it diminishes back to nothing or whether it expands a little bit. Another guy stock up, Nate, Divino Zigbo, freshman running back, kind of the under the radar recruit in this class. You know, they, they brought him in late. Charlton Warren um, kind of helped identify him before he left. And um, this has turned out to be a pretty good find. 
Absolutely. You know, you look back at, at, at what Divine did in high school and, and the fact that he was at one time committed to Iowa State was, is kind of head-scratching. I mean, he had a, a, a ton of really good offers, um, you know, but all of a sudden Nebraska, as you said, Charlton Warren kind of identified him. Uh, Reggie Davis got in on him, and, and he's just a unique player because he's big. He's 5'11", 220, 225 pounds, um, but uh, tremendous hands, and he's and he's very nimble on his feet for a big guy. And, and I think he brings something different to the room, and, and he's been great so far this fall. Robin, another stock up. The UNL students, about 2,000 students came out to watch Saturday's open practice only if Nebraska would open practice to the fans on a Saturday afternoon, it would be crazy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But yeah, credit to the students for the turnout. Uh, they didn't necessarily stay all that long, and uh, I can't blame them. But you know, they they showed up. They did the little pep rally thing with Mike Riley talking to them on the on the microphone, and uh, it was a pretty fun deal. And you know, it's I think that you're probably going to see a lot more of that because Mike Riley said he he intentionally wanted to bring them in. Uh, to give the players a little more pressure of an audience and, you know, people cheering when the offense beats a def- defensive player or the other way around. So uh, I would expect to see more of that. And maybe one of these days you'll get that open to the public scrimmage, which would probably draw about 70,000 people. I, I don't think Butch Hug, Nate, and the Yellow Coders want to mess with that. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. That's probably their own worst personal nightmare. But, uh, but it is nice uh, to have a coach thinking outside of the box and trying to incorporate, you know, the students uh, on, the, on campus and, and, you know, know just giving everybody a more of an inside look to the program let's go let's move down to stock down uh, I want to start with our, our friend from the holiday bowl Steve Sarkeesian and you know this is a guy that we've kind of covered a lot I mean I was adding this stuff in my head um, he coached against Nebraska twice with USC in the Callahan era three times at Washington with mm-hmm. the Pelini and then one time in the holiday bowl so we've seen S- Steve Sarkeesian six times since 06 so it's oh, we've never seen Steve Sarkeesian like this no and <laughs> apparently he mixed uh, his meds with alcohol at a preseason function <laughs> what what a disaster I mean you would think USC would would get this figured out I mean I don't think he's the guy right now for them in the future there's a lot of people that didn't think he was the guy before this incident and now that this has happened I think uh, he's on a very short leash and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what what happens you know with with this whole deal going forward well and with maybe just as surprising and shocking as his little pep rally speech was the, the fact that they had to come up with a statement saying uh, USC will no longer allow alcohol in locker rooms at games and uh, they clarified saying it wasn't the players, but that means the coaches are out there, you know, swilling beers, you know, before <laughs> even after a game, which uh, I, I can't even imagine that <laughs> happening. I mean, it, it kind of explains why uh, they've been so uh, uh, underproductive over the past few years. Fight the F on yeah. is, is the legendary uh, <laughs> words of Steve Sarkeesian at that event. Just put the fireball down, Steve. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All Don't right, let's, touch it. Let's move on. Stock down uh, with players. Jonathan Rose, Dan, at corner is somebody that it's interesting. His role has been kind of quiet in camp. He hasn't really had a lot of moments. I'll be curious what his role now is going forward. Well, this is his last shot. I mean, you know, you look at a guy a couple years ago, transferred in from Auburn with all kinds of fanfare. Hasn't really gotten much of a shot, and it looked like you know maybe he was going to be a, a starting corner this fall. But it's pretty clear that when Nebraska's in their base defense, Josh Kalou's going to move outside uh, from the nickel to one of those outside corner spots. And during the scrimmage, when Kalou did move inside, it was Trey Mosley 
who was out playing on the outside with the first unit, not Jonathan Rose. And you got to remember, uh, Chris Jones is another guy. He's been injured for a lot of fall camp, but uh, you know we've been told that he'll be back hopefully sometime really in the season. If he doesn't redshirt, he could factor in there too. So Jonathan Rose's last shot, and it looks like you know he's not doing a whole lot with it. I'm leaving it up open here. Any other stock downs for you guys right now? Well, we talked about Seath and Carter a little bit. I mean, when when you're a guy that we've all projected, like you said, to be, uh, you know, the next you know Jimmy Graham in this new offense, and now you're working with a third team sometimes in practices, you got to wonder what's going on there. And I think it's kind of a, an issue that needs to have an eye kept on it over the, the first couple of games of the season. Yeah, it's I think with the tight end, new tight ends coach, a new situation, it's just been interesting to see. Um, and maybe Seathan just hasn't bought in all the way. I don't know, um, but. Yeah, this this is a, a big guy for this offense. Uh, the tight end in general is big, and that's why. How many are they bringing in now, Nate? Two or three? You think is the number? Be taking two in this class for sure. So that that is important um, because they need more tight ends. Matt Snyder has shown already that he's going to be somebody in the future, but uh, they're going to be able to redshirt him. Uh, with, I think that's good too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Mike Riley said what anywhere from three to seven freshmen is what he typically plays when you count the long snapper Jordan o- Ober. Um, they're going to play at least six. Antonio Reed is the one um, special teams. that they yeah, ha- they haven't said. Special teams demon. They haven't said for sure, but I think he'll play too, just on special teams. Yeah, I think Riley confirmed that after the he was up front. So that's that's Riley official. Riley official. Yeah, and Antonio Reed physically looks as good as about any of the uh, defensive freshmen right now. Yeah, he's kind of been a surprise. I mean, you talk about a, a two-star recruit who is a real late add to this class. You know, it was kind of like, okay, this is one of those desperate reach the guys. The Bo Pelini post-Christmas <laughs> recruits. <laughs> exactly. This is one of those guys you had just before signing day to, to help your numbers a little bit. But he's looked pretty good. I mean, he's... Like you said, he looks the part physically. He's definitely nasty. I mean, he, he'll get out there and hit somebody. You know, he's not afraid to, to trash talk after plays. Or, I don't think he smiles. I, I haven't seen him smile. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a tough dude. He's a mean mug dude that came here hungry to play some football. And, you know, that that's what you, want, you try to find. And typically when you find guys late like that, you don't know what you're going to get. Knock on wood, Nate, this one looks like it will work out with Antonio. Yeah, he's what we used to call a road dog. You know, uh, back, <laughs> back when I when I worked in the recruiting office. That's <laughs> what Nate actually does when yeah. he does the road dog. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, that guy that has that demeanor, uh, has the build, has everything. Um you know, and, and uh, he's he's shown that he's put it all together. He's not afraid to mix it up out there. One last uh, qu- quick random stock up. How about Randy Gregory? He's got a sack in each of Dallas's first two preseason games. I think, you know, a lot of people after he fell so far in the draft, almost fell out of the second round, people kind of started overlooking him. But he's played well so far. I think, you know, that guy's – he's got a shot. As long as he doesn't sack Eli Manning, I'm, I'm happy for him. Yeah, I know, Robin, you don't want to talk any Cowboys on the podcast, but just real quick, I wanted to mention him. Give him a shot. Right. Guys, uh, Steve Sarkeesian wanted to join the show here real fast. Get ready to on, baby. Let's go. Thank you, Coach Sarkeesian, for uh, calling into the podcast. He's a, he's a friend of the show. Glad, glad to have you, Steve. I've enjoyed our time together at the Holiday Bowl and other times we've seen you the last 10 years. And that was wide receivers, not wide receivers coach, uh, USC head coach Steve Sarkeesian as we close the stock watch segment. We'll close the show next with Nate Klaus and we'll talk some recruiting. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
final segment here of the program. And as we do each week here this football season, we'll bring in Nate Klaus to give the latest on Husker recruiting and preview the upcoming visit weekends to come. And uh, Nate, we're still a week away, obviously, from the BYU opener. But uh, a lot of names and a lot of storylines kind of coming together as far as potential visitors and recruiting storylines to watch. A lot of guys, you know, starting to, to be added to that list. And uh, the, the, the latest addition that we've been able to confirm has been uh, Rivals 250 wide receiver Darian Owens out of uh, Fresno, California, Clovis West High School. And uh, what's interesting there is that he's a UCLA commitment, um, you know, and he's been committed to, to the Bruins since, you know, last April. Uh, but has always said he wants to take all five visits and everything. And, um, you know, has a unique connection to Nebraska because he actually went to high school with Kean Williams, who is the son of uh, coach, wide receivers coach Keith Williams. And so Keon and, um, and Darian you know, talk all the time. Uh, you know, Keon plays at Fresno State. He's a wide receiver there. And, and, uh, and you know, Darian has been able to, to find out just how good of a coach uh, you know, Keith Williams is, and, um, you know, it's that kind of that connection that has intrigued him to come up for this visit. Why do you think it's taken Keith Williams? I mean, I feel like he's a guy that should have been in a job like Nebraska a long time ago. I mean, it's, it's amazing that, you know, he's been waiting around for a big job like Nebraska this many years. It is shocking. I mean, when you look at his recruiting prowess, his connections across the country, uh, and just, I mean, his ability to connect with anybody and then his resume. I mean, he's put in, put an awful lot of guys into the NFL and, and has coached a, a lot of very productive wide receivers. So it is it is kind of strange that it took this long for him to, to get a job on this stage. Uh, but I guarantee you uh, there's no looking back for him now in, in Nebraska. You know, he's a guy that, that uh, you'd probably like to see Nebraska lock up uh, for as long as possible. You're listening here to the HuskerOnline.com podcast. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and uh, – a big quarterback offer was made, one that we're not surprised, Nate. Christian Gebbia from Calabasas in California. We watched him throw in person at the satellite camp. He's been up to Nebraska. This is a legitimate maybe rivals 100 guy for the future well he is he's already ranked a, as a rivals 100 uh, prospect for 2017 and and Tristan was part of that group that came up in in March with uh, Keon or uh, Keyshawn Johnson uh, senior and junior and, and 11 other guys uh, and then like you said that he, he had an opportunity to work with coach Langsdorf coach Riley at the LA satellite camp and and looked just as good as Patrick O'Brien and, and and all those other quarterbacks and that was a very talented group of quarterbacks that was at that camp and, um, you know, now that Nebraska has come forth with that offer, I think they're right up at the top there, uh, have to be considered maybe a co-leader along with Arizona State at this point in time. Just picked up an offer from uh, West Virginia yesterday, and there's going to be more and more offers coming his way, but he's going to be coming up uh, to Lincoln with Keyshawn Johnson Sr. and uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr. for that Wisconsin game. Probably a couple other players from Calabasas coming up for that game uh, as well that Nebraska has already offered. And, um, you I like the Huskers' chances with him right here, and um, you look at uh, you look at what um, the, the the potential in that 2017 class. You add a big time quarterback like Tristan Gebbia, add a big time wide receiver like Keyshawn Johnson Jr., and you're off to the races. There's no telling what could happen there, and and I like how Nebraska's positioned themselves. And I think for Mike Riley, you know, he always had the relationships down there, but he couldn't get those guys to Oregon State, and I think now with what Nebraska gives him for resources and facilities and commitment, it's helping him get in with some of these relationships, 
you know, that just maybe weren't going to ever go to Oregon State. Yeah, we went, when I've talked with Keyshawn Johnson Sr. in the past, you know, his, his nephew is Michael Thomas at Ohio State, the wide receiver there. And, uh, you know, Mike Riley recruited Michael Thomas awful hard out of high school. But, you know, Keyshawn Sr. told me, he said, you know, Oregon State is not – it's just not a program that you go to to get you know recognition. It, it's not one of those blue blood programs, you know, like a like a USC or Ohio State or you know a Nebraska. Or, um, you know, and and now that Mike Riley is at a place like this and has the tradition, the history, uh, and the resources on the facilities, um, you know, he's going to be able to land some some big time players, and we're starting to see that happen. Yeah, and Gebbia, when you look at him, he's the type of quarterback that. You know, Bill Callahan dreamed of getting to Nebraska. He never could. I mean, he almost had Freeman. He almost had Gabbert. I mean, this is the guy that you see committed to USC or UCLA every year that Nebraska typically would have no shot with. Absolutely. You know, like you said, he's like a Josh Rosen that UCLA picked up, you know. He's got the hairdo. He's he's the classic West Coast Country club taking high-level training quarterback that Nebraska has never touched before. Yeah, and has a rocket arm, is extremely smart. Uh, I mean, has all the tools. Uh, and all the connections with the top players on the West Coast too. So, um, I mean, this is a big time target. And and like I said, I really like Nebraska's chances with him right now. We're talking recruiting here with Nate Klaus as we close out this week's edition of the HuskerOnline.com podcast. And let's stick with quarterback and Patrick O'Brien. First of all, he was upgraded Nate to four stars by Rivals. Yeah, not a big surprise with that with that upgrade. You know, when you look back at what he was able to accomplish this past spring and, and over the summer. Uh, you know, it virtually went from an unknown prospect, you know, when Nebraska offered him, um, you know, to going across the country and winning a ton of seven on seven tournaments, um, you know, due to due to his play at the quarterback position and then uh, being selected as an elite 11 finalist and, and being one of the best overall quarterbacks at that camp. You know, he solidified himself as, as a top quarterback prospect in the country and um, you know, and he was rewarded by it. You know, with that bump up to four stars, and uh, and you have to you have to like what what he brings to the table. Um, you know, and, and how he you know could possibly fit into Mike Riley's system. And the big thing with him now is he will be an early enrollee, and his true freshman year will be Tommy Armstrong's senior year. Um, so who knows what direction all that will go? But he'll be here for the spring and. You know the table is almost set for a guy like that to come in and and, and be a three to four year starter yeah, right now. Yeah, it really is, and uh, you know that was something that that he announced on Twitter this past week that he's he's finished all his summer classes and is set to enroll early. And uh, I think something he was kind of doing under the radar, but um, I guarantee you the coaching staff is super excited to be able to have a talent like that uh, that they're going to be able to throw into the mix. You know, next spring and um, you know just get in the system, start learning, and, and see what happens. You know the. Thing Thing about Patrick O'Brien is, you know, physically, I think he's he's he'd be able to step on the field right away. I mean, he's 6'3", 230 pounds. He's he's physically going to be able to step on the field. It's going to be a matter of you know how quickly he picks things up and adjusts to the speed of the game. Opening weekend of high school football here in Nebraska, Nate. What are you watching closely here, Week One? Well, boy, there's a there's a ton of storylines, you know, um, and t- a lot of prospects that I that I obviously want to watch. But you know, Class A is is an interesting, um, you know, 
uh, interesting teams of top class A right now, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing you know how that how that shakes out. You know, Millard North is is going to be I think a team to to be reckoned with. Uh, Bellevue West is an exciting team. They open with Westside Week One. That's yeah. uh, KTV's Friday night game of the week. Uh, Bellevue West Westside. And, and Westside, I think, is probably the sneaky pick in Class A. I, I think they've got an awful lot of talent, uh, but have kind of gone under the radar a little bit. Maybe, you know, they're the team that no one's really talking about or giving a ton of credit to. Uh, but, you know, when, when we watched them at the, the state 7-on-7 seven seven passing tournament that they won uh, over the summer, you know, they, they've got a lot of talent there, and, and uh, they're going to be a team to be uh, that you can't sleep on, that's for sure. I'm going to watch Moses Bryant at Elkhorn South year two. I think this kid, we already know he's blown up, but mm-hmm. he is going to have a monster season. And I think Elkhorn South, you know, with the right breaks, could could be the team to beat in Class B uh, when you have a difference maker like Moses Bryant now going into a sophomore year, I'd agree with that. He's he's definitely a special talent, and they return a lot of key pieces uh, on that Elkhorn South team too. Um, you know, sticking with with the same you know kind of theme there as C one. You know, can Ashland Greenwood get it done? Two years year? in a row, they've been beaten by Kozad and Norfolk Catholic. Mm-hmm. Now is it their time? I mean, they've got the players. They've, yeah, exactly. They've got the players. Nebraska commit Ben Stilley, potential Nebraska offer guy, yeah, uh, Brett Cottrell, and then uh, Trevor Nicholson. Trevor Nicholson. You know, you got. You got two uh, state champion wrestlers on, on that on that team, and and a, a bunch of other you know supporting cast. So they're going to be a, a fun team to watch, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can get it done this and year. And the new Seacrest uh, Stadium in Lincoln opens up for business this weekend. Uh, brand new bleachers on both sides, widening they widen the aisles. They've added rails. Uh, they've made it much more comfortable. They've decreased the capacity by about a thousand, which is not that big of a deal because it's the largest high school stadium in the state. They've added a video board. They've widened the field for soccer. So I'm excited. I'll be at Seacrest uh, watching that big Southeast Southwest game. They open up with a great game uh, on Friday night. So uh, it should be fun. Well, Nate, thanks a lot, and uh, pl- we'll have plenty more to talk about. Um, recruiting-wise, obviously, as we get closer to this BYU opener. But uh, that signs it off here for another edition of the HOL Podcast. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.